Thanks for finding us and tuning into this podcast this week presented by Beef O'Brady's in Tampa on the corner of Bush Boulevard and Himes Avenue, as well as Hank's Barbecue and Home Slice Pizza. Enjoy the podcast. Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. A kick. It is good. To beat the man, you gotta beat the man. The two-one swung lane drive left field. One run is in. Here comes Green. Here's the run of the play. This is the Powers on Sports podcast. All right, welcome in Powers on Sports podcast. I'm your host Jason down in Tampa. We have uh, we are in early January here in the Sunshine State. National semifinals for the college football playoff are in the books. TCU with a pretty surprising upset of Michigan and Georgia comes from way back to edge Ohio State at the buzzer on a missed field goal. Uh, we are setting up a national title game on Monday night out in Los Angeles at SoFi Stadium. Got NFL regular season wrapping up week 18 this week, playoffs next week. And obviously we're going to, we're going to hit on the uh, terrible tragedy that happened Monday night in Cincinnati with DeMar uh, Hamlin in that situation. As of the time of this recording, we do not have any definitive news on his condition. I know there's been reports that he's getting as of Wednesday afternoon, that he's getting a little bit better. We don't know what that means, but um, he is still obviously in s- sedated and, uh, being, and obviously being cared for with great care up in Cincinnati, Ohio. So don't have any, uh, we're going to talk about th- that situation here in just a minute, but I'm going to talk, hit on a couple of things. We've got a good show episode for you this week. We're going to talk to Jim Levitt, former USF head football coach, former Super Bowl, uh, uh, a member of the Super Bowl staff of the San Francisco 49ers with Jim Harbaugh, who's now in the news. We're going to talk to Coach Levitt about the semifinal matchups. Uh, how was TCU able to upset Michigan? Uh, Georgia's Ohio State uh, review. We're also going to preview the national title game with uh, obviously on Monday night, Georgia TCU out in Los Angeles. So we're going to get a, a real in-depth uh, breakdown of that. We're going to talk. Uh, I'm, I'm also going to hit on a couple topics here before we get to that. Some breaking news and related to U.S. soccer and Greg Berhalter. That's kind of a uh, a Melrose Place kind of uh, situation. Uh, some reality stuff, some pretty stuff, interesting stuff we'll talk about. How about Lamar Jackson? Still not practicing with the Baltimore Ravens. I got a couple. I got a couple thoughts on that topic. Uh, week eighteen, you got a lot of teams that are out of the mix, are sitting quarterbacks. No Justin Fields for Chicago. You know, you got some other guys around the league that are that are being sat down. Younger players are going to be playing. We'll talk about a couple of scheduling things with the NFL as well. But let's first get before we get to Coach Levitt. Let's first get to Demar Hamlin, the D, the DB Pittsburgh plays for the Buffalo Bills. Terrible situation Monday night on the on the on the uh, just the the tackle of T Higgins. He collapses on the field. 
has to be resuscitated on the field. What what a job by the training staffs of both teams getting out there and getting the the necessary uh, CPR uh, action going, and obviously the getting the defibrillator out there. Great job by the medical staffs of both organizations and the stadium staff there at, uh, in Cincinnati for having all that stuff ready to go. They apparently uh, resuscitated him on the field in front of both teams. You saw if you were watching the Monday night football coverage, you saw the anguish on everybody's faces. Uh, very, very uh, glaring, very, very emotional. Um, you know, if you're a fan in that stadium, I mean, just in d- disbelief of what's going on, I'm sure in certain views of that stadium, you could probably see that very well, what was going on. Um Watching on TV, obviously, you had a pretty good sense pretty quick that it was something probably life heart related, life and death situated with some of the views you saw it wasn't just a normal concussion or a guy who hurt his leg or knee or whatever. Uh, you could tell really quickly with Tredavious White, uh, Diggs, Josh Allen, their reactions, their their gestures were 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 were, were, were very apparent of what was going on. So. Again, uh, reminded me back to the Hank Gathers situation back in 1990. If you don't know Hank Gathers, Hank Gathers was the All-American p- basketball player at Loyola Marymount uh, who collapsed and died in the West Coast Conference tournament on the court. Um, you know, obviously situations were way different back then. I don't even think they had a defibrillator and all that was there. Many of the medical things that these facilities were required to have that have that have just progressed in the last 30 years were because of Hank Gathers, the, the the mandate of having a defibrillator and you know paramedics and all that stuff on on site. A lot of those things came about because of the Hank Gathers situation. Uh we don't know if DeMar Hamlin had a pre-existing condition. We don't know if this was just a a random act of him getting hit in a perfect spot. You've heard some uh, cardiologists on TV probably talk about a condition where a heart attack or a cardiac arrest event could be triggered by just the perfect confluence of being hit in the right spot on your chest, your uh, electric rhythms of your body and the heart at just the absolute perfect moment that causes that. Uh, but I won't, uh, but again, none of that has been confirmed by any means by anybody. So he's still in, again, he's still in critical condition in Cincinnati's in the UC hospital. So we're hoping for nothing but the best for DeMar uh, good luck to him, and, and obviously the organization the game was canceled. There's not been any finalized decision yet of what the NFL is going to do related to that game. It will not be played this weekend. The, the, the options that are being discussed are potentially playing it next weekend um, in conjunction with some conjunction of the playoffs beginning, potentially on the NFC while they play this last game. But no definitive announcement has been made by the NFL yet either way or what way what they're going to do. Obviously, this game has such, you know, from a NFL football perspective, the game was being hyped up so much because of what two really good teams and also the ramifications that game had on playoff positioning in the AFC, especially with the one, two and three seed with Kansas City, Buffalo and Cincinnati. So, uh, again, from all reports, all games will be played this Sunday. The normal Week 18 schedule will be played, and then we'll see what the NFL decides to do about making finishing up the Buffalo-Cincinnati game. We'll be very interested to see what the emotional uh, reaction is of all the players around the league this Sunday, especially the Buffalo who hosts New England, which is an important game for New England. If they win, they're in the playoffs, and obviously Cincinnati is going to play Baltimore, um, and that's a critical game as well. Uh, potentially for playoff seating. So 
be very interesting to see what the reaction around the league is uh, this Sunday as far as the level of play and just that stuff goes. So let's go to Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson got hurt in early December, if you recall, hurt a knee. Uh, there's been lots of speculation about what's going on. Why is it taking Lamar so long? Hasn't practiced yet. It's been well over a month. Uh, the interesting comments coming out of John Harbaugh's mouth in Baltimore seemed like he has no idea what's going on when Lamar would be eligible to practice. And typically when there's a knee injury, a legit injury, the doctors tell the head coach, hey, he'll be ready to go in three or four weeks. We've heard that for quite some time that, that, that the timeline was probably three to four weeks. Still haven't seen Lamar Jackson even practice anything. I've got a feeling this is just my opinion, but I think it's got some legitimacy. I think Lamar Jackson is sandbagging the Baltimore Ravens here with this injury. He didn't get his contract extension. I think he's frustrated that he didn't get paid, that he didn't get Deshaun uh, Watson money before the season. I mean, to me, there's no way I'm paying that guy $250 million guaranteed. Um, I would structure a deal where I'd, I would be willing to pay him $180, $200 million, but I'm not giving that guy a guaranteed five-year contract for two fifty dollars or higher. Um, you know, the guy, the way the guy plays, he's, he's potentially injury prone with as much running as he does mobility. Uh, he is not the, an elite passer. He's a good passer, not elite. And at some point here in the next year, couple years, his legs will not be nearly as much of a factor as they have been early in his career. So, um, interesting how the Baltimore Ravens are playing this and Lamar Jackson, in my opinion, is milking this. Don't be surprised if Lamar Jackson doesn't play another down for the Baltimore Ravens this year. Um, you know, if he would have, you'd have heard about him practicing. Seems like the relationship with the organization has has floundered um, due to the lack of the contract extension. We'll see what the Ravens do in the offseason. If they franchise him, I would imagine they will. Um, but very interesting thing to keep an eye on here in Baltimore as we move into the offseason with the Ravens, Lamar Jackson, especially if, the, if, it's, if it comes out that he could have practiced and potentially didn't choose to do that. We'll see what he ends up doing for the playoffs. If he ends up practicing next week and potentially playing in the wild card round, but a very interesting thing to keep your eye on in Baltimore. In my opinion, Lamar Jackson is milking this and is not going to play another down for the Baltimore Ravens this year. All right, let's transition to U.S. soccer. Some very breaking news story in the last day or so concerning uh, World Cup coach, U.S. national team coach, Greg Berhalter. Just a refresher, Burhalter was the coach in the World Cup. His contract expired at the end of December, and there were allegedly talks going on to see if they were going to extend him and bring him back as the national team coach. And it has been reported as of Wednesday that an allegation that he kicked his then-girlfriend when he was in college, who's now his wife, have four children with the guy with, with, with Burhalter, that apparently there was a kicking incident as we have a nice thunderstorm starting out here in Tampa with the lightning blaring uh, going off in the background. So if you heard the lightning and the cracking, that's a thunderstorm starting here in Tampa on Wednesday night. But the story that there was an investigation being launched by U.S. soccer into this into this potential domestic incident back when Burhalter was in college with his girlfriend, it turns out the person that leaked the story to U.S. soccer is one of Burhalter's best friends, the family of Claudio Reyna. Well, why is Claudio Reyna? Why why is that such a? Uh, first of all, he's, they were good friends. They played together. 
Number two, remember Gio Reyna, the 20-year-old on the U.S. national team, had some issues at the World Cup, didn't play much. If I think he played one time in the four games. There was all kind of allegations about his work ethic, his, his lack of being a part of the team and all that stuff. And now it's being uh, being surmised, surmised that Claudio Reyna's mom, I'm sorry, Claudio Reyna's wife, Gio Reyna's mom, leaked this information to U.S. soccer in mid-December to retaliate for Burhalter not playing his son, the son, Gio, in the World Cup. I mean, you talk about a a shady thing to do. Wow. This investigation, I mean, Burhalter has come out with a public statement this week admitting to the incident back when he was 18 with the, with the girlfriend, now wife. You know, uh, he, he admitted to kicking her in a bar altercation. You know, they were in an altercation, but a disagreement at a bar. So he has admitted to this, but the but the but the leak coming from one of his best friends, the mother of a guy who was on the World Cup team who, who happened to not play very much in the World Cup, is very very shady. Very much keeping keep an eye on this. Burhalter probably will not be back as men's national team coach anyway. But just keep an eye on this on this uh, Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero saga story of two you know of U.S. soccer. Again, I know there's not a lot of soccer fans out there, but this is a pretty interesting story. All right. Scheduling in the NFL this weekend. A couple interesting notes on the scheduling of games. Detroit Green Bay is going to be the Sunday night game, prime time. The reason that's important, the NFL did Detroit no favors because Detroit is tied with Green Bay in the stands at 8-8. Eight, eight and eight. Green Bay controls their destiny. If they win the game, they're in the playoffs. But Detroit can get in the playoffs if they were to beat Green Bay, but they need the Rams to beat Seattle. And you say, okay, okay, that's good. The NFL typically schedules games that have equal importance on relative teams at the same time. They schedule the Seattle game at 425, which means if Seattle beats the Rams, that means the Detroit Lions are out of the playoffs making that Sunday night game from a Detroit perspective meaningless, paving the way for Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers to get in the playoffs. Dan Campbell has come out and said, we're going to play hard, but from a mental psyche perspective, you're the Detroit Lions at Lambeau Field Sunday afternoon at about 6.30, 7 o'clock, and you hear the result that the Rams have lost to the Seahawks, meaning your season's over. How much effort, how much true effort and ball-busting effort are you really going to give Sunday night at Lambeau Field. Don't like how the NFL did that. The one game that really had that had major playoff implications but didn't rely on other results would have been the Patriots in New England and New in, in Buffalo. Patriots win, they're in the playoffs. Doesn't matter what other people do, the Jets, Miami. Uh, if the Patriots win the game, they're in the playoffs. So uh Pittsburgh would have had to rely on that. To me, Buffalo, New England should have been the game Sunday night in Orchard Park. Obviously, this would have been prior to the DeMar Hamlet situation because that game has a direct impact both on the one seed in the AFC and two, the Patriots getting into the playoffs since they control their destiny. So to me, that's the game that should have been Sunday night in Orchard Park. Belichick going to see Buffalo, a division rival. Lots on the line for both teams. So 
Uh, I didn't like that the NFL didn't do that. I wish uh, NBC would have taken that game. But a lot of meaningless games this weekend. Uh, Houston's on the potentially on the clock. If they lose, they got the number one pick. If they win and Chicago loses, Chicago has the number one pick. Thus, Chicago sits Justin Fields with a quote-unquote hip injury. So interesting to see uh, how those things unfold. Um, but that, there's your draft status as well. Houston's on the clock unless they win the game, and then Chicago potentially would be on the clock if they were to lose the game against Minnesota as well. The seventh seed in the AFC is down in New England, Miami and the Jets. Good thing is Miami and the Jets play each other. Pittsburgh's all, no, Jets are out, excuse me. It's Miami, New England, and Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh could get in if Miami and New England lose. So that'll be an interesting storyline as we go into Sunday afternoon. Obviously, in the NFC, it's Detroit, Seattle, and Green Bay. And we've already we've just discussed those scenarios. So uh, interesting uh, week 18. Again, there's only a three or four games that have any bearing. Yeah, Philadelphia that needs to win the game to clinch the one seed. Most likely, the if Philly wins, Dallas will be going to come into Tampa. If Philly loses and Dallas wins, Dallas will win that division, and now Philly will be coming to Tampa as the five seed. So important for Philly to win the game. Most likely, Jalen Hurts will be back for the Eagles uh, and all that. So be, coming in the next couple of days, you will see the NFL come out with their scheduling uh, correction to this Buffalo and Cincinnati game, how they handle that moving forward with the wild card rounds and all that stuff. So we'll see how that goes. All right, Georgia TCU, you're going to hear a full breakdown by Coach Jim Levitt about the uh, semifinal games and a preview of the final games. I kind of like Georgia. Georgia's about a 13-point favor, which is kind of a, a high. I thought I, I guessed about 10, but the line is 13. That is a big number. Georgia potentially could could beat them soundly, but again, this TCU team might be a team of destiny. One of these, um, you know, de- you know, one of these years kind of teams we've seen it over the years in different sports, college basketball, uh, NFL. With we've seen the Giants do it a couple times as a wild card. This TCU team has got a lot of grit. They've been in a lot of close games. They know how to come from behind. They know how to play hard. They 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 were as physical, if not way more physical than the Michigan Wolverines, who most thought was one of the most physical teams in the country. So give them credit. Now they face the beast in Georgia, Kirby Smart, that veteran offense, uh, the blitzing you're going to see out of Georgia, and the physicality of the SEC. So interesting game in Los Angeles Monday night. If you're in the Tampa Bay area, I will be at Beef O'Brady's on Bush Boulevard and Himes Avenue doing a pregame show starting around 645, 7 o'clock. So if you're in the area, you want to come watch the game, have a good meal, come on out to Beefs. If not, you can go to my Facebook page, Jason Powers, and see the live stream pregame show that we talk about. We'll have a couple guests on uh, leading up to the national championship game in college football. So Coach Jim Levitt coming up here in just a minute or two. Appreciate you finding us. Remember on Twitter, at JPO Sports. If you have any questions or comments, love to hear from you. And if you haven't already done so, hit that subscribe button below on the Powers on Sports podcast. Uh, video interviews, you can see this video intro on my YouTube channel, Jason Power Sports Channel. And uh, you can also, again, check out the Florida Football Insiders podcast, as well as my No Quarter Given podcast, which talks all things Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Have a great week. And we will see you next week following the national championship. Now a word from our partners at Print and Marketing Solutions. 
as well as Star Alvarado, our realtor here on the podcast. If you have any buying and selling needs anywhere in the Bay Area, reach out to Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. She can help you on the selling side or the buying side of any real estate transaction here in the Tampa Bay Area. From St. Pete to Tampa to Wesley Chapel and anywhere in between, reach out to Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. And Print and Marketing Solutions, my guy Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. Todd's located on the corner of Lineball and Gun Highway over in Carrollwood. Todd can help you with all of your print and supply needs, corporate events, golf tournaments, signs and banners, marketing pieces, color copies, anything in between. Todd is your print and marketing specialist. Again, print and marketing specialist, Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. Are you in the market for a new home as we enter the fall? First time home buyer, you want to upsize or downsize your current living situation? Reach out to Titan Home Lending for all of your home lending needs. If you need an FHA, VA, conventional, jumbo, or even a bank statement loan, Titan is the place to help you. We will work with whatever financial situation you are dealing with. Again, from Key West to Pensacola to Orlando to everywhere in between, Titan Home Lending is your home lending source in the state of Florida. Reach out to Jason Powers, 205-790-1404. All right, welcome to a special championship edition simulcast of the Powers on Sports podcast and the Florida Football Insiders podcast. I'm your host, Jason. Hope everybody had a safe and happy New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. We are uh, recording this as the first podcast of 2023, so thanks for finding us. This podcast presented by Beefo Brady's here in Tampa, the corner of Bush Boulevard and Himes Avenue. For all of your uh, sports viewing and catering needs, definitely check out Beefo Brady's as we head to the NFL playoffs and the uh, college football title game. We're back with Coach Jim Levitt again. Coach, Happy New Year. Hope you're doing well. Happy New Year. It was, uh, you know, I lived down uh, around Harbor Island area and um, I walked down to Jackson's on New Year's. Of course, all Illinois is staying at the Western Hotel right there. Okay. And uh, had a great time. Fireworks were unbelievable. Unbelievable. Then just uh, walked back to the house and I um, uh, had had a nice two years. It was, you know, not too, <laughs> you know, went out very late, just went and saw fireworks, went back home, which is probably good. And uh, that's about it. There was a lot going on down your neck of the woods on New Year's Eve. I was down there for just a little bit and there was a lot of people and a lot of stuff going on. Oh, that, you know, the game today will be interesting because, you know, Brett Bielema, head coach of Illinois, I coached him at Iowa when he was a walk-on defensive end. Yep. And I was a graduate assistant with Hayden Fry. So I used to yell at Bielema all the time. <laughs> and then Bill Snyder's son, Sean Snyder, is the uh, special coordinator for Illinois, okay. who I know very, very well. And then certainly I was very close with Mike Leach on Mississippi State. Right. And how devastating that was, you know. And Mike and I were – spent a – an awful lot of time together and he offered me a DC job at Washington state where he was at and Mississippi state. And, uh, we talked at length about different things, but, um, and then, and then through all the things I went through with South Florida, he went through with Texas tech. We must talk for two months, almost every night on the phone. So 
It'll be very interesting to see the emotion in, the, in Raymond James today with Mississippi State coming out and obviously honoring Coach Leach and just uh, as well, you know, as much as they want to win this bowl game. And again, on the other side of that, you got Bielema, who again, you know, and I'm sure probably, um, you know, it's a tough, he, he's he's probably going to be without a couple of his big players because of opt-outs and stuff like that. So that'll be interesting to see how that, uh, how that uh, just unfolds and the emotion in the building and all that stuff. It's always hard when you get these opt-outs, you know, it's just, you know, it's so different than back when I first started coaching or playing or whatever the, you know, it's just not the same because you don't know what team's going to show up. Now these playoffs, most of the players are going to play in those games, but these bowl games, there's just so many players that aren't playing and you can't blame them. If they know they're first, second, third round, you know, first, second round for sure. Why would you play? Right. You know, all you're going to do is, uh, you know, if you get a chance to get hurt, you know, it's not like the old days, you know, where you, you're loyal to your teammates and all that. And, and that's, uh, you know, I'm still big with that. But, you know, the stakes are not as high on those other bowl games, you know, and it's just, it's just different. Yeah, I mean, back then, you people used to play bowl games to try to impress the pro scouts and the scouting and all that stuff. Now it's just a different world with the combine and all the pro days and all that stuff. The one situation I do want to comment on that was impressive to see, you saw the Alabama guys, Bryce Young, Will Anderson, playing for the Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, and they played really well, and they really, they really uh, took it to Kansas State in the second half. Bryce Young and Will Anderson both played for most of the game and played really well. You know, at Alabama, of course, they've got – it's just a different situation. <clears throat> they probably worked for those guys on making sure they got insurance policies. Correct. Because you can get those insurance policies, you know, before those games. And, um, you know, Saban's just – he's got things set up. There's so many different things to protect those players. Right. Uh, that all colleges can do and should do and will do, you know, as far as – the uh, you know, the, the ones that really know what's going on. So I'm sure they were protected. Yes, no, oh, no doubt about it. There's, there, there's no doubt. All right, let's get to the two semifinal games. We uh, had two, probably the greatest two semifinal games we've ever had in the, in the college football playoff. Michigan goes down to TCU 51-45, and then Georgia with the dramatic fourth quarter comeback beats Ohio State 42-41. Let's start Michigan TCU first. Just your... um. General thoughts of the game. Again, to me, it was a game about missed opportunities for Michigan, especially early in the game. They had some opportunities, and they weren't able to cash it. Just your general thoughts of the football game. Well, the one I wanted to really watch TCU's defense against Michigan's offense with the run game. Because when you run the 3-3 defense, one of the areas that people will talk about as far as a weakness is the run defense. But my gosh, they did a really good job. And I was impressed with it. I think they had to show their hand a little bit by dropping the safety down a lot earlier than they normally would. Right. And that's why Michigan, you know, got some big plays passing. But what was amazing was inside the five-yard line. Yes. And, you know, first they get two two touchdowns off pick six. You know, that's just real mistakes by the quarterback. And you got to give the quarterback a lot of credit because he hung in there. He, and he kept battling and fighting, and you know, you throw, you're in the, you know, semifinals of the championship, throw a couple picks, you know, you're not sure your quarterback's going to handle that, but he kept, 
it shows his resiliency and his toughness. Right. I mean, they were, they were down six. They had a chance to win at the end, even though there was no time on the clock. But I was impressed with the overall defense. You know, basically, got it well over 500 yards offensively, but they couldn't get it in inside the five. And, right, you know, they, um, the one play was there's no way that wasn't a touchdown for Michigan. I don't I, under, yeah, I don't, they, I'm with you. I don't understand how that's not a touchdown. I think the officials, you know, said it was a touchdown, but how in the replay booth do they say that wasn't a touchdown? That's wrong. I'm just telling you. Yep. They messed up. They missed on that one. And look what look what happened because of it. That would be you my know, next and that's question. why you say you never give up. You know, and they 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 fumbled the, you know, they they slid the handoff through the the up back, you know, the the, the fullback. And they fumble it, and um, are you a fan, are you a fan in these big games to put the ball in guys' hands that are not used to handling that fullback? Uh, he's a linebacker by trade. He comes in for goal line stuff, or would you rather put the ball in the guys that are used to handling it? You know, your power back, whatever it is, whoever that is. That I was a little surprised they 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 put a guy in the game and handled the ball that wasn't. It's not used to doing it very much. Well, when you look at the replay, it looks like the quarterback slid the ball through there. I don't know that exchange. You know, maybe maybe he's supposed to grab that ball. Right. <clears throat> Jim has done that in the past. You know, he had a linebacker at Stanford that he played at fullback as well. And, he, you know, I think Jim tries to outthink people on that stuff. And obviously he's going to have to live with um, some of the decisions that were made in that game offensively because – you know why you do that reverse pass? The Philly special on the first drive, the uh, first I, drive of the game. Yeah. You, you get cute. We talked about it last week that teams would open up their playbook and pull out all the stops. To me, if you're Michigan, you're known for running the ball. If you're gonna if you're gonna go for it, there, pick your one or two best running plays behind your All American offensive line and go run the ball at them. Yeah, I I was really surprised by that. I. I didn't understand. They end up having more success with the quarterback running the ball at the end of the game, right? You know, with uh, against TCU, but I, I, it was beyond. I don't know. I know right now he's kicking himself. I'm sure. You know, why do we do that? I don't know. He's and Jim will take that stuff personal. Yep. And he'll, he knows he had a real shot at this whole thing, and you know it's hard. It is, you know, it's, and it's, it's a brutal, it's a brutal ending in your I season. I mean, TCU's a good team. They were able to run the ball, uh, you know, pretty well, which is, and then they've got the big receiver that is really hard to match up. You know, I was a D coordinator at SMU with Sonny last year. We played right. TCU. Right. So I had to line up against that receiver and I lined up against that quarterback and all of them. We ended up beating TCU at TCU. Right. <clears throat> but it was, um, what a challenge. And, you know, we end up playing really good defense in the second half, especially fourth quarter. But, you know, we, I didn't think we were a better team than TCU. We just won the game. Uh, but I don't know. It's, you know, who's really the better team? I don't know who's the better team with those two teams. I mean, Michigan made so many mistakes. It was it was one heck of a game. But for Michigan to keep fighting and battling was, was impressive. It was. It, it was the, the hard part of that game, if you're Michigan, is you could never get all the way back. You always were down four, seven, 11, 12. Right. Then you got to eight. You could never finally get over the hump and take the lead. And, and, and you know this. 
it's just you sometimes your kids just run out of mental energy to do that when you're constantly behind the entire game. They got burned a couple schematically for you. Michigan got burned twice on zero blitzes. They went yeah. full blown zero blitz. You missed <clears throat> one tackle and it's off to the races. And TCU went off the race, I think a 75 yard touchdown on a zero blitz on third and six or seven. Yeah, they it happened twice in a game that you know, and you can always second guess that, but you know they probably ran a bunch of zero. They they, they were trying to make the big play. I you know they 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 were, and you know that's the defense that's given up 13, 14 points a game for the right. whole year. Right. And you know what a great job their D coordinator did, but you know you're going to have some calls you make that you know they're tough. You know I, I was kind of surprised they went zero in the middle of the field or on the other side, you know, but man, they were trying to get that ball back and, you know, TCU's got a good offense. They've got some good players. Running back's good, receiver, quarterback's good with the run game. I was going to mention that too. The the run game of Duggan is always a factor for them. Right. And, you know, the quarterback of Michigan, you know, had a lot of yards rushing, but yeah, you know, you're going to, you know, I know the DC. You know, he, he. I'm sure he feels like he didn't do well. Right. You know, gave up almost 500 yards and you know a lot of points. Of course, 14 points were on the offense. The pick sixes, right? You know, and um, <clears throat> and what happened? What know. happens is, coach, when you're down 21 to three, you can't be as patient with the running game, which is your bread and butter, the physicality of the game. It's hard to wear out TCU, and I thought TCU held up pretty good physically in the trenches. Yeah, they really did. You know, it's um, you know, it's just a year of TCU. They got and they they did some really good things for transfers in the portal, and they had a lot of people back. You know, from um, you know, a year ago, and um, you know, TCU just hit. He, they they won all the close games this year. You know, I know they got beat by Kansas State in the championship game, but <clears throat> for the most part, they've, you know, I mean, how they how they beat Oklahoma State was amazing. Right. How they even got to where they are is remarkable. And here they got a chance to win it all, you know, by if they can beat Georgia. And we're going to talk about that in just a couple of minutes. So TCU advances 51-45 over Michigan out of the Fiesta Bowl. Now to the uh, Peach Bowl. What a wild finish in Atlanta. Georgia 42-41, Georgia down 38-24 going to the fourth quarter in big trouble. I mean, they they settle for a field goal. Give Kirby Smart credit. He was down 14 in the fourth quarter, and he kicked a field goal when he could have gone for it, fourth and seven or fourth and eight from the eight-yard line. He ends up kicking a field goal to stay in the game, to extend the game. But just uh, your your thoughts on the, on the Georgia-Ohio State game, just overview. Well, like you said, earlier those are probably the two greatest games ever going to a championship game i mean i nobody thought the georgia ohio state game was going to have the same type of game that the tcu game was you know with michigan but it did and maybe more yeah i mean ohio state dominated seemed that game throughout yeah and I thought for sure Ohio State was going to win that game. And could have with the, you know, they had the missed field goal. You know, it's, 
I don't know, you know, who's the best team in the country? <laughs> is it Alabama? Who, beats, <laughs> who ends up beating Kansas State? Right. I said this a number of weeks ago with you, and I'm not so sure Alabama shouldn't be in there again. I know. You know, Kansas State. They lose State, two games got, by four points on the last play of the game both times. I mean. And, and Kansas State beats TCU, and here Alabama right. gets after Kansas State. Right. I, I just, you know, and they say, oh, you go to 12-team playoff, it's going to help. I, who knows? I don't know. It's all about money anyway. Schematically, so, schematically, what did you see about what Ohio State did? Did they isolate? Did they did they pick on a certain coverage? What did you see schematically from Ohio State that impressed you, or that you didn't think Georgia did very well on defense? Well, I thought the protection for the quarterback for Ohio State's offensive line did good. Ohio State and that old line is something. You know, they ran the ball pretty well and they protected the quarterback. And what what the big thing was was. There are a lot of deep crossing routes. We call those race routes or grids. Uh, you know, used to call them race routes when I was with the 49ers, called it grid when I got back in college, where the receiver basically crosses the entire formation, and it's a deep ball. you got to have protection. Usually you're going to have seven-man protection on those, you know, at least six, but probably seven-man protection, three-man routes. And, and they just outran – you know, it's a hard – It's a, when you got protection, it's hard to stop and defend those routes. And I thought Ohio State hit those a number of times. Uh, and then the quarterback was able to run the ball when he had to, you know. To Which had not been part drives. of his game. Him running had not been part of his game. and Everybody thought that that was going to be an issue, but he, he really he, – his mobility was a major factor in that game, breaking containment. Yeah, I thought so as well. And, you know, I mean, I, you're looking at two great teams. I mean, people at the beginning of the year thought these were the two probably that were going to play in the championship game. And, and they, they might be the two best teams. You know, I mean, the the, the talent level, and the line of scrimmage on both right. these teams right. is amazing. But for Georgia just to keep playing they and did. keep on it, it's, I mean, it, it says a lot to – the coaching staff and the leadership of the teams, you know, to, you know, Bill Snyder used to tell us at Kansas state always don't ever, 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 ever give up. And don't and ever give up. Yeah. Let's talk about the, the fourth string walk on quarterback. That's turned into a Georgia legend is Stetson Bennett kid. He's 25 years old. He was put out, you know, nobody wanted him to play at Georgia. He just hung in there He's not a five-star guy. He's probably not going to be. He's not going to be a first-round draft pick in the NFL. But this guy's grit as a college football player and the leadership he shows is incredible. And as a coach, I know you know this. Develop seeing kids develop, seeing kids get better over time, and just hanging in there is a great trait. You know, it reminds me a little bit of Werfel at, at Florida. You know, and they they won a national championship, I believe, with him. Yeah, and um, you know, he wasn't going to play in the pros. You know. And this guy probably will – this might be his last game ever. You know, somebody will pick him up, and he might be able to hang on for a year or two. But probably, you know, who knows? But, you know, you probably don't want to count him out, you know. I'll probably maybe be eating my words in a year or two. But it is a remarkable story. It just is. He's just a football player. He's a winner. And he reminds me of Matt Grothy who we had in South Florida. Yep. I mean, Matt Grothy, 
the truth of this, and Matt, if Matt is listening to this, <laughs> he, he won't like to hear it, but Wally Burnham recruited him, our D coordinator. And when we talked about Matt, and we knew he was a good quarterback, but we didn't think he'd play quarterback. We, we really took him as a safety. Okay. <laughs> and we brought him in. And, I mean, our staff is me and Wally talking. We thought, you know, he, we didn't think he'd have great speed, but we thought he'd be a good heady ball player and might be able to play some safety. We we didn't – Central Florida recruited him and, and us, really. It came down to just that. And um, Wally really liked him a lot. I mean, I liked him. I went and saw him a bunch, but Wally loved him. And, you know, I, you know, I appreciate Wally so much. We end up taking him and there's a practice and like the scout team is going against the number one defense and Matt Grothy got back and hit this skinny post. One of the best throws I'd ever seen to score on our defense. I'll never forget this. I went up to Matt and I said, Matt, you are never going to play anything but quarterback. I'll promise you. <laughs> and from then on, all he did was lead our team to so many wins. He was so tough. He was such a heady ball player, such a leader. But his toughness was remarkable. I'm going to go off on a tangent, but you got to hear this. We oh. play in a bowl game uh, against uh, Skip Holt's East Carolina's team. First game we first bowl game we won in South Florida and right before halftime Matt came off and he said man my legs really bother me and I said well is he be all right I don't know man it really hurts we go into halftime come out second half he comes out beginning of third quarter said man I can't I'm having a hard time played a few series I had to go with Pat you'll miss we he went in and finished the game for us we won well, Matt had a had a fracture in his leg. <laughs> it was it was it was a fractured leg, and he played like a quarter and a half on it. Wow! I mean, it's, wow. the guy was so tough, you know. So that's what this Georgia quarterback. He's just tough. He won't give up. He wills things to happen, and we'll see what happens in the championship game. Were you surprised that on the last drive by Ohio State that they really they didn't really attempt a whole I mean they went for a big play. They got the ball to about the 32 with about 20 seconds left, and they didn't really try to get another seven or eight yards, and they end up making the kid have to kick a 50-yard field goal, you know, basically to win the game. And obviously it was the, the kick was no good. Were you a little surprised at the play calling there in the last couple of plays, not to try to either center the ball in the middle of the field or figure out a way to get five or six more yards. Yeah, I mean, it would have been nice, you know, obviously for the kicker. And, you know, I don't know what the thinking was behind all that, whether they just didn't want to, you know, they wanted to give him a chance, felt good about the kicker, and maybe they felt good at the hash that they are on and all those things. I don't know all that background. Um, obviously, they should have, you know, because he didn't make it. Right. You know, but that's just so hard. I mean – you know, I watch Ohio State play, and even in this game, and still not sure that they're not the best team in the country. Them or Alabama <laughs> or Georgia. You know, I mean, I, I never, I didn't know if I, I would say Michigan or TCU, but you know, the the just the line of scrimmage and the athletes and what Georgia has and what Ohio State has and what Alabama has. 
is to me is you know separate those teams but Michigan beat the dog at Ohio State so and we're undefeated you know so you got to give them you know I don't know boy it's tough you know you know any one game right we talked right. about that this year yep. you know you yep. can you, you know and look at I mean, we talked because we were talking about South Florida at the time beating Florida you know and we had a lot of – and one thing you and I talked have talked about all year about special teams. There were a lot of a lot of missed kicks in these games. Georgia kid right. missed two or three kicks. You know, you've watched the Clemson game. They missed three kicks. Obviously, Ohio State missed the kick at the end. The importance of special teams in these bowl games, when you've had 30 days off, that's the part of the game that gets rusty and doesn't get probably as much work maybe as you think you need. Your th- your Your thoughts on special teams. Well, it's the live work, you know, that you, you know, you, you, you know, nobody's getting as much live work, but that's the thing you worry about with, um, you know, with uh, the protection on, you know, I mean, even, even I, I'm thinking right now about the game yesterday in North Carolina blocks, a, you know, fugal by the Bucks, you know, right. Um, but that's, that's not what we're talking about, but it's hard to get as much live work as you want especially on your field goal, your X point team, because you don't want to hurt any of those linemen because they're, you know, they're in a vulnerable position. Right. I know that all those teams did some live work. I know that, but you know, how much do you do? And you know, when have you had enough? And and the pressurized moment when you're in front of 85,000 with all the marbles on the line, it's different than if you're on a practice field by yourself with the team. Yeah, you're right. It is, you know, and you know there is some time there, and you know, you're concerned about all kinds of things, but especially teams. You're right. That's one of the areas that coaches get very concerned about, and normally in the practices, that's why they spend most time on special teams because you're so concerned about it. Right. You know, but and it, and it does. It hurt a lot of teams. You can see it. I want to give again. I want to give a shout out to Noah Ruggles. Noah's the kicker at Ohio State. He's a Tampa kid. He went to Steinbrenner High School. Coach. He's a, he's a the Ohio State kicker, but he had a really good career at Ohio State. Obviously, didn't make the last kick, but again, want to give a shout out to Noah Ruggles. Really good career at Ohio State. Um, keep up the great work, Noah, and uh, there'll be more opportunities hopefully down the road for you. So, all right, let's get to the championship, Coach. Oh, you, first first question. You get nine days to prepare. You got you play the, this time next Monday night, so you basically get nine full days. Interesting that both teams will fly back to their place and then have to fly back to L.A. because the game's in Los Angeles, which is a long trip for these guys, especially the you know having to travel back to Texas and Georgia, then back to L.A. Talk about the preparation these over the weekend. Would you've given the kids all the way off until probably Tuesday to, before you start practicing again? Well, both staffs have already broke down the other teams. They've already had their GAs and their analysts break down the other teams to get everything there. But the the coordinators have probably peaked at it a little bit, but they're so focused on Michigan or TCU or right. Georgia or Ohio State that they haven't put their teeth into it. So you have to give your coordinators time. They need two or three days. Uh, or probably these two days to really try to put the, put a good plan together. So you do give your guys in the travel back, you're going to give them some, hopefully they can rest on the plane and you do want to give them a day off. 
And then what you want to do is you want to get back right away to the mental preparation for sure. Okay. You want to get the game plan out as soon as you can to where you really know what you're going to do and what you want to do and what your objectives are. And, um, and then you're on the practice field and you're probably not going to go full pads at all. Right. Probably just helmets and, um, you know, maybe just, uh, spider pads or whatever they call them now. Sure. Uh, you know, cause you, you've had a long year bodies are really beat up. You got to get your players back there close to hundred percent as you can. That's critical. So most of the work is going to be two things. Do a little bit of running, you know, uh, as soon as you can, as soon as you get your players back there, run them, run them a little bit. Um, and, and make sure alignment are running enough because your receivers and DBs are going to, they're going to run a lot anyway. Uh, and then, and that also helps kind of just get your body back and get them in the film room. Watch, really study the team you're going to face. And then um, most yeah. of your work is going to be with scout teams, you know. Now, are you, now you as the head coach, as your coordinators are doing their work, as you as the head coach, are you going to call your buddies in that conference and say, hey, give me two or three things that they, they, they really like to do formationally or blitz package or red zone stuff? Is that where you're going to kind of make some – your your phone call to your buddies in the in the business that are that maybe play against Georgia, play against TCU, just just to get a couple of nuggets. Those phone calls were probably already made last week. <clears throat> you know, there are four teams left, and depending on who you know, one team would have to have calls about you know two other teams, right? And those calls already were made. I'm sure. Um, are there going to be more calls made? Yes, <laughs> and yes, I would. Um, you know, a couple of people you trust, you know, to kind of get an idea. Uh, but, you know, those calls are already made. And you're, you know, you're, hopefully your analysts, that's why these guys, a lot of these, a lot of these analysts are, are some retired great coaches. Right. That know what the hell they're doing. And they're probably really helping with putting those plans together. And, and if you've got some really good analysts, Man, they're worth their weight in gold. They really are. Because they, you know, these guys have been around a long time. You know, Georgia's got them. Yep. I know a couple of those guys. And certainly all these staffs, man, they, when you're a high power staff, you got analysts, big time analysts that are there. And uh, they're really, really going to help that process. Well, you know, TCU is going to take the David versus Goliath attitude. Nobody in America thinks. TCU can win a second huge game like this against the big bad bullies of Georgia. How do you, as if you're TCU, if you're Sonny Dykes, how do you approach this emotionally and mentally with your guys? Do you do you play up the we're the we're the David versus Goliath, or you just say, you know what, damn it, we're as good as they are. Uh, we're as good as they are. We just played Michigan, who's got one of the best run offenses in the country, and we basically handled them. And um, you know, Georgia's going to have to play up to our level. You know, and, you know, we're, we've got explosive players all over the field. You know, our defense is different than what they've seen. Um, you know, I, I don't think anybody in TCU, you get to this point, so I don't know if there's a David versus Goliath. The thing that I'm going to be excited about TCU is I'm more towards the West Coast than Georgia is. I'm at least getting Georgia out of the Southeast, right. put them all the way out LA. I'm, I'm thinking it ain't going to be easy for them. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a long ways from one coast to the other coast. 
And um, I'm hoping that I'm hoping that's kind of a factor. And I'm and they're they're you know they just got done playing in Atlanta, right? You know, home game and home game. That you know, I I think at TCU you're gonna have have I think a little bit of an advantage. You know where you're located, getting out to LA. Will the bowl, will the bowl game require them to be there a certain day? Will Will they wait till the weekend to travel, or do they have to be there probably by Wednesday or Thursday for media stuff? Well, most bowl games will give you options. You know where you can come in one day or the next day. Okay. You know with whatever your team is. I don't know. I would imagine, and I don't know this, but I would imagine they'd have an option of staying one extra day or coming in. I imagine each team's going to have, they're going to have a certain day. You have to be there. Right. Because there's certain festivities that you're. Yep. Media day, all that stuff. But I will bet that you'll, you have an option of getting in one day or the next day. And, um, uh, yeah, I don't know what each coach is going to want to do as far as that goes. Now, are you going to prepare the? I mean, I know obviously it's the ultimate. You're playing for a national championship, and I get it. As a coach, the danger is to are you over? Can you over prepare for a game like this, or or do you try to stay in the same routine as a coaching staff that you've done all year long? Or do you say, you know what, I don't give a damn. I'm staying up all night long. Whatever we got to do. Well, you know, I, you know, I think that you probably try to stay in a routine that you can. You know, I coached in the Super Bowl. And we had two weeks to prepare for, um, uh, you know, for um, the Ravens. And um, <laughs> I'll not forget, I my scouting report for the linebackers was 16 pages, <laughs> but it was, but it was mostly, you know, some drawings and some. It wasn't just all, you know, to where they, they I Pat Willis and Navarro Bowman and those guys, you know. But, uh, you know, it's hard to keep it exact routine you can within your system but you know it's a championship game you're going out to la there's different geographically it's different but as much as uh much the same routine you've had you know with your strength staff and those people you're going to keep i would imagine question i'll get you out of here talk to talk to the audience and the fans and other coaches that are listening talk about the thrill and the and the the adrenaline and the anxiety or whatever all the things combined when you're in a winner-take-all championship game, whether it's an NFL playoff game, a game like this where it's a national championship game, just talk about the – this is what you do coaching. This is why you're in this profession, right, Coach? I mean, the, the thrill and the, the the intensity and the adrenaline and the, and the you know, the, win, the winner-take-all scenario of a game like this. You know, for me, you know, and all I can do, the only experience I can talk about is coaching in a Super Bowl, and um, which is pretty big. <laughs> the um, uh, I remember before the game seeing Beyonce because she was going to sing, you know, at halftime. Yeah, and I can remember um, these kids that were singing, and how I went up and talked to these kids before the game, right when right we came out. Other than those kind of things, when the game started. Nothing changed for me. Okay. It was, you know, you want to win this game and the best. And I remember feeling like the best thing I could do is to be relaxed and not to be uptight. And to, because for me, Vic Fangio was our D coordinator and he made calls. I'm the one that talked to Pat Willis or I either did it through 
you know, through the mic or, or through signals, hand signals. But I just wanted to make sure that I relayed the right things and that I, that the adjustments I had to make for those guys was good. And I just wanted to make sure as a coach that I was as relaxed as I could be. Did not want to be too tight. Because it allows that you to really, think. really important to me. It allows you to think clear when you're relaxed. You can think clearly. You don't get, I won't say desperate, but you don't do stuff that's out of character from a call perspective and things like that probably, right? Well, that's just how I thought, you know. Um, I wasn't the head coach. I wasn't Jim Harbaugh. Right. You know, I wasn't the D coordinator when I was with the 49ers. You know, I was coaching the linebackers. But, you know, I mean, the game came down to the last play of the game. And we've already talked about the horrible call the official made on the Where's the flag, coach? Play. We're still looking for the flag, coach. <laughs> uh, you 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 need to look back at that play. You tell I me. remember it. Oh, I, I, I watched it. I remember the play in the end zone with Crabtree. I remember. The, the, the guy wrapped his arm right around Crabtree. It was an easy call to me. <laughs> so, anyway, but, you know, you want your guys to play at the highest level they can play. You you want them to, you know, I think it's so important to have them not be too tight. And where's that line? How do you do it? That's, yep. you know, that's a good question. And the last thing is officiating. That that could be a factor in this game. These are going to be officials that haven't refereed these conferences this year, most likely. It's probably going to be a neutral conference officiating crew. So, again, you hate to say it, and these are the best of the best of the officials. We get it, but it's still – the officiating can can play a role in these games and how you coach it and how you adjust after a call that you either like or don't like. A prime example. Do you remember the TCU game with the um, was it the spearing at the end? Yeah, yeah. The no call. You they overturned me, it. They overturned it. You tell me if you're being consistent and we've seen that call a few times. That was called. Yep. And if you put up that same play with some that are called, not right. called, I'll promise you they missed that call. Right. His head was down. He hit with a crown of his helmet right through the other guy's helmet. Yep. Yeah. And I believe strongly that they just felt like, I think it wasn't about the play. I think they realized that, hey, the, you know, TCU won this game. Let's just move on. And they would have had to eject the kid for the half of the next game. That's the other part, too. I find it hard to believe that those thoughts weren't com- weren't going in the mind right. of the person that had to make that call. Right. Because I'll promise you that's going to be brought up and they're going to show, they're going to show calls of, you know, of the same thing. That was the other, that was the other way. Right. Well, coach, great work. I really appreciate it. Enjoy the week. Enjoy the championship game. And uh, we'll maybe we'll talk one more time next week after the championship game to wrap up the college football season. Great job, Coach. We'll see you next week, okay? All right. Sounds good. Have a great week, Coach. Powers right, on Sports too. and Florida Football Insiders Podcast. We'll be right back. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Sports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.